in the studio with me today, I've got Dr. Jane Babin. Dr. Babin is a, she holds a law degree from the San Diego School of Law and a doctorate in molecular biology from Purdue University. And Dr. Babin is a well-known Kratom advocate. And recently she was recognized by the Rolling Stone magazine, among <laughs> many other publications as well, for her scathing report called FDA fails to follow the science on Kratom. This is where Dr. Babin calls out the FDA for providing junk science as a means to ban Kratom. Uh, nice to have you on the show today, Dr. Babin. Hi, everyone. I'm pleased to be here. Yeah, we're, we're super excited to uh, be with you today. But first, I just want to go over some, some questions about what I personally had. Dr. Babin, 64,000 people died last year from some type of drug overdose. That's not a medical claim. That's, that's public fact. Uh, last year, acetaminophen caused 450 deaths. And the FDA claims Kratom has caused 64 deaths, but aren't providing a just cause for the allegations. Can you explain what's going on here? I think uh, FDA has an agenda, and I'm not quite sure where it's coming from, whether it's coming from the pharmaceutical industry or the supplement industry, uh, Daniel Fabricant, um, but they just want to malign Kratom. And, you know, this is the best they seem to be able to do is to come up with 64 deaths over 10 years. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're, um, support for the idea that these are associated with Kratom is no better than the association with uh, these people breathing air. You know, they really don't have any good nexus to Kratom uh, and the cause of death. Uh, obviously, I, at least I believe that, that homicides and suicides and those kind of deaths really can't be connected to Kratom. And in many of the cases, um, the death is uh, associated and, and more justly caused by another agent or a group of agents, polypharmacy. So I don't think that they have anything better than to say, you know, these 64 people died while they had Kratom in their system. And that's as far as they can really go. Yeah. And one of the things that, you know, really, really confuses me, you know, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist, but uh, when, when I see you know, some, I see some of the testimonies of different people and, and how they have used Kratom and, and how it has, has helped them. Uh, and then I see the FDA on, on one hand, you've got, you've got extremists. And on the other hand, it's, it's extreme on both ends of the spectrum. And uh, how does Kratom fall under the Dietary Supplement Act? And if you don't mind, just maybe explain what the Dietary Supplement Act is for, for people who are just now getting introduced to to this whole idea? Well, the Dietary Supplement Act was an act passed in 1994 um, that recognized that people have the right to uh, improve their own health and take control of their own health and make their own scientific assessments as to whether something is useful for their health. Um, the FDA has been going after things like vitamins for a long time and wanting to regulate um, how much of a vitamin uh, you can take, how much can be in a particular uh, supplement pill or capsule formulation and, and require more proof of efficacy rather than allow people um, to make their own decisions and make their own determinations based on 
their own experiences as well as what scientific literature there is available. Um, and without having to uh, talk to your doctor or go to you know a, a medical professional that's recognized by the uh, the state medical board in a in a community or by the FDA. Um, you know, FDA I think wants to control everything, but I think that you know a lot of the people who use kratom and a lot of the people who are interested in in dietary supplements don't want to have to uh, listen to the advice, especially when the advice doesn't give them any answers or when they've tried the FDA approved and and medical establishments uh, approved methods for uh, treating pain or for withdrawing from other drugs or for maintaining their health in any way. And, you know, it, it the Dietary Supplement Act recognizes that um, people aren't, you know, just sheep. They're, they're it, intelligent individuals and don't always need, um, you know, advice of a physician to decide what they eat and what they put in their bodies. So the, yeah, the Dietary Supplement Act allowed dietary supplements, which can be a variety of things, vitamins, minerals, herbal preparations, et cetera, to um, be introduced if they can have a, if the manufacturer, the distributor, the retailer, whatever, has a um, relative, um, relatively certain uh, degree of understanding that, that there's safety, that it's not harmful. Um, they don't have to prove, and in fact, it, uh, it contradicts the statute if you make claims as to efficacy, as to what this does. So when you're looking at a, a Kratom uh, manufacturer, um, you see a bottle of Kratom capsules, um, if they say that it, it does something, if they make claims as to how it can treat or cure um, a disease, that is contrary to the Dietary Supplement Act, um, unless the manufacturer can go through a, a large, um, a extensive process of, of demonstrating based on published literature um, that there is proof of some efficacy for a medical claim. So, you know, in some cases there are dietary supplements that are um, shown, have been shown and are allowed to make medical claims um, for a particular uh, disease treatment. If you're deficient in vitamin D, you know, they, uh, a supplement maker who makes vitamin D can claim that it treats vitamin D deficiency. But most dietary supplements don't have um, the approval uh, to make a medical claim. So, you know, that that's one of the things that the industry has to accept and deal with if they don't want the FDA to say that it's an unapproved drug, that uh, if they make a medical claim, it's going to be assigned that role, that unapproved drug status. I understand. Um, one thing as just, you know, a common American citizen that I don't understand about this whole thing, we, we uh, again, you do see the testimonies of what Kratom can, has done for other people and you read about them and you, you hear about them. Um, and yet we, we cannot cite those because of the, that act. But yet the FDA, it feels like to me, the FDA is coming in with these 64 deaths that they've attributed with Kratom. And um, a lot of these allegations were, were 
the truth was not disclosed in in my opinion and i don't i mean i'm not again i'm not a doctor um but i believe one guy uh uh had a shotgun wound in his chest i believe if i'm not Mm -hmm. mistaken and they attributed that case uh to a to a kratom death now what what is your from a, a professional standpoint your professional opinion how how can they how can they do this and get by with it? Surely the, somebody at the DEA can, can understand this and uncover uh, what's going on. Well, hopefully what we've been doing lately is to you know, debunk their claims that these are kratom deaths. And that's not to say that there isn't an amount of kratom um, that could kill someone or an amount of indiv- an individual alkaloid that's present in kratom, one of the active components. But I don't see... Uh, levels of uh, the alkaloids um, in the autopsy and toxicology reports that are anywhere close to what have what has been determined to be a lethal dose in animals. So you know they've they've done what they call LD50 uh, studies in mice and rats and some other animals as well, um, and shown that there's a certain level of uh, a certain amount of mitragynine or a seven hydroxy mitragynine that can kill this animal. But it's, it's huge. It's, you know, it would be the equivalent of hundreds of grams of, of whole leaf kratom if you uh, absorbed in your body all of the alkaloids that were present. And that's not the case. You, you really have only three to 6% when you're taking whole leaf kratom. So, you know, to get the levels that, that, um, would be the equivalent of a mouse or rat LD50 would be, you know, impossible to take. I got you. Okay, so I've got some questions um, from the community here. Is there even one death that doesn't have any explanation except for Kratom? In other words, I think what she's saying is, has there been people that have died and didn't have any benzos, didn't have any opiates, just Kratom? You know, there are a couple, but I don't think we have the full case history in most of those cases. You know, there there are a couple that have been um, reported in the media, but the autopsy and or the um, toxicology report and past medical history. You know, what, what I'm finding is that the more, the deeper I look into these cases, the more uh, suspect the determination of a kratom death um, that determination is. It's... Uh, some of the other circumstances, um, in in some cases, uh, when we have a toxicology report and an investigative report to look at, um, the investigative report suggests that, you know, they say, well, that's that can't be the cause of death because it's a it's a prescribed and um, it's overseen by a medical professional. So, you know, the 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 issue in those cases is, well, did they take all of their pills at once and would that drug also interact with other drugs? And I, I think that, you know, the FDA just doesn't know, and we don't know what the interactions of five different drugs that, you know, aren't generally prescribed together, or if you take, you know, say three or four different SSRIs, what is the effect going to yeah. be? We know you can overdose on those. So, you know, if you take a therapeutic dose of five of them, um, I think that can probably cause death as well. Right. Um, so. That's a good point. Um, she also asked, and you was talking about toxicology reports. Uh, she's asking, where do they get the parameters to say 
what is toxic, you know, as far as, you know, the Kratom topic? Yeah, that, that's an issue that we have. It, you know, there's one lab in particular that is reporting um, and, and they're not reporting it on in an untrue way, they're just, it's just misleading, I think, to the medical examiners. They're reporting that 20 to 60 to 600 nanograms per mil of blood um, is the reported concentration of mitragynine in um, the decedents who have been associated with um, kratom deaths. So, you know, that's to say, if you're calling um, a death that wasn't caused by kratom, a kratom death, and they had 20 nanograms per mil, um, then they would they, that would fall within this 20 to 600 nanograms per mil range. Um, so you know it's it's garbage in, garbage out kind of situation. They don't really know what the toxic level of mitragynine is, and I'm sure that it's not 20 nanograms per mil, because there have been some studies um, on healthy living. Um, users who have kratom or metrogenine levels in the uh, 15 to 100 nanogram per mil range. And, you know, that wasn't even a very uh, concentrated or potent dose of kratom tea. So I, I don't believe that those doses at the low end are um, really kratom caused alone, you know, yeah. that that substance doesn't cause it. The higher end, we <clears throat> don't know. You know, we don't know what that level is, but they have no um, no tests of their own, no data of their own to show what a human um, toxic dose is. So I, I dispute their results. And that's, I think, something that we need to work on is to get them to report to the medical examiners and the coroners a more reasonable an accurate dose of or level of mitragynine and 7-hydroxymitragynine. Interestingly enough, this this uh, lab doesn't even report um, any of the other alkaloid levels. Hmm. So I think that that's important for them to start doing. In, in your report, you you brought out a lot of things that you know I really I, I loved. I loved a lot of it. A lot of it I, I didn't understand, but I, I still loved it. You know, you know, there's somebody out here that at least knows what they're talking about when it comes to this stuff. But can you walk us through that process of uh, what activated you to take a stand and take a step forward and just say, hey, this is this is not right? Well, I, in my interest in, in Kratom is that the alkaloids have been um, shown, at least in a, you know, in vitro research situation, to be biased agonists. So um, what the, the current theory, and uh, I think there's, you know, increasing evidence that we can separate from, in a, a opioid or other um, type of, you know, a molecule that binds to and interacts with different receptors, we can separate out the different activities. And that if we can find um, uh, molecules, agonists that um, only activate certain pathways when they bind to a receptor, that we can control what's going on, you know? So you have, with an opioid receptor, you have analgesia, you have euphoria, you have respiratory depression, constipation, a whole um, <clears throat> battery of different effects that it causes. And at the molecular level, you know, we may be able to uh, separate them out. So yep. in my mind, 
you know, what, what we would like to have for analgesic is one that works as well as morphine or fentanyl, but doesn't cause respiratory depression, doesn't kill someone. And, you know, to me, secondarily, that is not abusable, you know, that doesn't cause someone to um, have cravings, to have euphoria that wants, makes them want to continue to use this in a, in a negative way. Um, but I think, you know, in my mind, the, the respiratory depression aspect of it is the most important. If, yeah. if we have opioids or other drugs that don't kill people, I think that's, you know, a, an improvement. Uh, and it looks as though these compounds in uh, Kratom do that, that they don't have as much uh, respiratory depression. They don't have as many addictive properties. And I believe that's because of the biased agonism. Yeah. So they're biased toward one aspect of the what the compound can do versus another aspect of what the compound can do. Okay. Um, let's go to some questions here. Prescription opioids resulted in 29,400 deaths last year, but yeah, let's ban Kratom. Now, is this is this more of a I mean, what, what's the deal here? It's a plan. I mean, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. You know, I think that, um, you know, as uh, David Kroll put, they've weaponized the word opioid. And yeah. therefore, you know, anything yes. that uh, has that term associated with it is is necessarily evil and bad. And, you know, when you compare kratom alkaloids, if you want to call, I, mean, I don't want to get into the debate of whether it's an opioid or not an opioid, but you know, if you have a very expansive view of what an opioid is, you could probably say it was, but even under that view, um, you have to recognize that it is not the same as fentanyl All and right. that there, that many other opioids it, under that kind of a definition don't cause uh, analgesia, you know, don't cause uh, death don't aren't addictive. Naloxone is is an example. Dextromethorphan is an example. Um, you know there are a lot of a lot of opioids out there that don't have the same effects as as heroin and fentanyl. Yes. So you know why they're why they're doing this. I think it's because it's something they can do. It's a problem that is is more visible than. Uh, you know, shipping in small amounts of, of a fentanyl compound through the U.S. mail or, um, you know, smuggling it in through tunnels. And yeah. I'm in San Diego. Every other every other week they're finding another tunnel that they're smuggling drugs in through, you know, across the border it's, from Mexico. Yeah. I mean, I don't think a ban is going to stop this. Uh, no. Just like it didn't stop yeah. anything else. You know, remember Prohibition, you know, you know how that worked out. But uh, here's another question. Isn't the FDA or someone trying to make a synthetic form? Uh, and this might be why they're trying to ban the natural kratom. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that they're trying to look at the compounds that are in kratom, you know, mitragynine especially, and try and uncover its secrets and make um, compounds that are similar but different enough that they're not the exact natural product. Hmm. And in some cases, you know, I think they're going for, let's, let's make it as potent as we can. But I think that's fine. I think that, but that's not, that's not going to affect Kratom per se. You yeah. know, Kratom and, you know, it's alkaloids are, are not patentable. 
But if you make a compound that's just a little bit different than mitragynine or another alkaloid in Kratom, it, it could potentially be patentable. So, you know, those are good drug candidates. Um, those are, but they're, you know, if they had that today, um, a pharmaceutical company would need, you know, about $2 billion and another 10 years to bring it to market. Goodness. And I don't think, I, I also think the other aspect of it is that this combination of different alkaloids in Kratom may be important to its utility, to the properties that people are using it for. You know, um, some of Mc, uh, Christopher McCurdy's work looks at mitragynine and also some of the other alkaloids in it, uh, in Kratom, and finds that they have a, a, a number of different properties that in the proportions perhaps that are found in whole leaf kratom may make it more um, acceptable and more tolerable for people to use. I don't think the FDA is really quite at the point yet where they could analyze and, and uh, you know, make a determination on something that has all these different components in it. Yeah. So what they really, their role in this is to be able to say that it's not safe if they want to bring take it off the market. Right. Um, and they've done that in the past. Um, right. Not that it can be adulterated, not that, you know, people are going to use it without the advice of a physician because that's the purpose of the Dietary Supplement Act. Um, but that, you know, we have good evidence that it's dangerous mm -hmm. um, from the FDA. That is their role in this process. Um, and, you know, they're grasping at straws to say that these 64 deaths mean that it's not safe and we should take it off for that reason. Right. right. Well, Dr. Bevan, I, I appreciate you so much for coming on and talking to me about this. We, we thank you so much for your for your letter. Uh, one last thing before we go, what could someone like me, I don't have a doctor's degree, what could I do to to help continue the fight to help save Kratom? Well, I think you can, you know, write to your um, local representatives um, in Congress and in your state government um, and, uh, you know, share your experience um, with using Kratom so that people understand that it is not toxic to everyone when you have, you know, 20 nanograms per mil, um, which is probably the equivalent of a couple grams of, of whole leaf powder or in a tea, you know, that that's that range. Um, and uh, support the organizations that have lobbyists and that have um, an insight into how to get uh, go the government, particularly the FDA and, and Congress to change their mind. Um, you know, just keep up the the letter writing and and be aware and uh, ready for the time when we need to send that hundred and forty thousand. Um, we need to get that hundred and forty thousand signatures on a petition again. Yes. So, can you talk about alkaloid properties? What What's the difference between the alkaloid properties? And I know I know the seven. And I'm going to say I'm going to say this wrong, but it's I'm going to say it's right. seven hydroxymitraginine. Is that the way you say that word? Either mm -hmm. way, but I know that one is the, is the really potent one, and it's not found as it's not as common as mm -hmm. just the mitraginine or however you say it. Uh, what are the differences? I mean, between why why does it have more of one and 
and less of the other. Is there any particular one that's stronger? I don't. I don't think that they've you know looked at it uh, sufficiently to understand how it's synthesized in the in the plant. Um, there is some um, belief, some uh, evidence, perhaps that. Um, that one is the product of the other. So you have mitragynine and then the 7-hydroxy is an oxidation product of uh, mitragynine. Um, whether or not the, the plant itself converts it, uh, mitragynine to 7-hydroxy um, is not really known. Um, they can do that in a lab. You know, they can uh. selectively make that in a lab. Um, but uh, it, you know, the 7-hydroxy is in a small amount in, in, or maybe not even present at all in the natural plant when it's in its live state. Uh, but they don't really know. Um, and the 7-hydroxy is the one that, um, is associated with, uh, analgesic potency and binding to opioid receptors, um, than mitragynine and it's more potent than morphine it seems to have some addictive qualities it has you know it, other other properties that would be of concern if it were a purified product um but in the level that it's in you know it's basically 30 times 30 fold less prevalent in most kratom preparations than the the mitragynine and so you know i think most scientists who are studying the whole leaf um, don't consider it a problem uh, in that form. You know, if if it's enhanced or if it's purified, you know, we just don't know. We know that in in mice in rats, in uh, there was a recent paper that showed that it could be addictive yeah. and could yeah. substitute for morphine. That's one of the tests that they use to determine whether or not something's addictive and whether it's you know a, a concern. If you're looking to establish a better alternative wellness lifestyle, then let's talk about catsbotanicals.com. That's K-A-T-S botanicals.com. They have what you're looking for in terms of CBD oil, CBD isolate, CBD cream, kratom powder, soaps, and other herbal solutions like turmeric. Best of all, their products are lab tested and proven by a happy customer base of over 60,000 people. Now, I've been drinking Kratom tea for the past 16 years, and I must say, catsbotanicals.com is one of the best places you can get started on the road to alternative wellness. Check them out today and start your journey to alternative health.